Hey, what's up, you guys? I'm going back on tour this fall and winter, and I want to see you there. Get your tickets at MrDTimes3.com. I am coming to Miami, Salt Lake City, Boise, Vegas, Providence, Rhode Island, Milwaukee, Chicago, Rochester, Atlanta, New Orleans, Portland, Oregon, Boston, Charlotte, Appleton, Wisconsin, Fort Wayne, Indiana, Louisville, Kentucky. Get your tickets at MrDTimes3.com. And don't you wait to do it because they're probably going to sell out. Love you guys. See you at the shows. Bye. Hello, socialites. Welcome back to the Social Studies Podcast, where you study being social by being social. I am getting social today with an internet favorite of mine. Recently, this comic has been doing these good morning videos that honestly are poetry. We're going to get into it. Welcome to the Social Studies Podcast, Cameron Esposito. What's up? Hi. It's No, it's really cute to see you. You look great. You look happy. Okay, honestly, that's so weird that you say that because two days ago, I had the inevitable comics mental breakdown where you're like, where's my career going? Oh, sure. Because there's no guarantees in this business. Yeah. Well, tell me about that. Because you've never lived in New York or LA, right? No. So my trajectory, right when I was about to make the leap, I was in Chicago for a year. Yep. And then my partner got hired for this company that we're not going to say, but it sounds like a rainforest. And now we live in Seattle. Right. So that shuttle flight down to LA has proven to be pretty easy. Yes. To stay for a couple of weeks, do spots, do work. Yes. And it hasn't been a problem. But right when we moved, I went on my first tour. Yes. So I sort of kind of didn't do that step. Yeah. And I only asked that because so, you know, I think of you as like, you've got this whole career, you're touring all the time, you do really well on the internet. And I think when you said, you know, that you had this like inevitable breakdown, I think sometimes I feel like it's like nice to know that there's like nothing I could do to avoid that. Because I think sometimes I feel like, like when I lived in Chicago, I certainly compared myself to others or like had, you know, goals that like I held my feet to the fire on. But I think also I didn't really have like a scale of what was possible. So I just kind of thought it was wild that I did this job. Then I moved to LA and it's like, I know people who are really successful. I also think everything's good. Like I'm like on a TV show. I mean, this is stuff that like growing up in the Midwest, it's like, I didn't even know to imagine that for myself. Oh, In LA, I think I'm bringing all this up to say, I feel like I can lose perspective. Like, I feel like I can really lose perspective on like what I thought I would get out of this versus what I'm getting out of it. And it's, there aren't, I live in an area now where like people do a lot of different jobs, but so many of my friends are in the entertainment industry. And I just think it's like, it becomes a little bit of a hellscape (laughs) where somebody who naturally focuses a lot on career stuff and has a tendency to feel like a failure, which is me. I love Los Angeles. I wouldn't want to live anywhere else, but it is like a great place to hang on to self-obsession because it's like, it's all around, you know? So I think when you're telling this, I'm like, oh, maybe it's not something that would ever leave, which is kind of nice to know. Like there's no relief from this. So then I can just accept it. Does that make any sense? Yeah. And I, so, okay. 
you said something that makes me think, is this a Midwest to West Coast trait? Because also when I moved to the West Coast and my career in comedy started to explode, I immediately, I had no idea where this could take me, but I was very clear of where it couldn't. So as things keep happening and these opportunities arise, and you start to really understand that it's true, you get a thousand no's before you get your first yes, you're constantly like, well, where does this go? And then you compare yourself to other people, which is the most detrimental, which I think isn't any career actually, but especially in comedy, it's like, there are so many people who aren't doing what I'm doing, but there's so many steps to get where I wanna be still, which is wild. Yeah, I hear you. And maybe everybody is like this, but I do think it's a certain personality type that like chooses the amnesia experience of every time I walk into work, it's a different environment. Like sometimes I've shot something where I guess you go back to the same space more than one day, but that is like in the last 20 years of my life, that is not the norm. It's usually that like literally every day I do something different. That is a wild choice to make. To be like, (laughs) to be welcoming (laughs) that sort of instability. And, you know, I think that for me, it's because I'm like the kind of person I feel like I need to like earn love and win people over. And that's like a sort of negative side of that personality trait. The other side of that is like, it's a great engine for this job specifically, because every time I walk out on stage, I'm like, oh, new people that I need to change their, but that's, but this is all Madness. This is all madness. You know, like there's nothing about this that's like, this is all stuff I'm attempting to do a better job of balancing in terms of like mental health and anxiety reduction because something is really wrong with me. As a Midwestern rainbow person Mm -hmm. like myself, when you first got out to the West Coast, were you like, oh my God, we can do things here. You know, I'm, I was just So I was saying to you, I'm like exhausted because I was just in the Midwest. I was visiting my parents. And I think part of the reason I'm so tired, like I got home over the weekend, but I had like some plans with my wife and everything was very fast coming home. But I think I'm like processing how intense that trip was as a Midwestern rainbow person. So I went to, I went home to the little town that I'm from outside of Chicago. And then I went and I met one of my best friends who I've known for 30 years she lives in the town that we grew up in. She like moved back there. She lived a bunch of other places and she moved back there and she bought a house. So it's this weird thing of like, that's what I didn't do. Like I didn't stay in the same town I grew up in. So I went and I hung out with her and then we went to Door County. Do you know what Door County is? Girl, (laughs) listen, I I used, I lived in Chicago and used to teach in Schaumburg, Illinois. So- we're speaking the same language. Yeah. So we went to this, like, it's like a lake vacation destination for Midwesterners. And I went with her up there and I felt like I was really unprepared for like the degree of shame and just like how noticed I felt. Like it really Mm -hmm, felt like, mm -hmm. oh my God, I felt like such a freak. The actual word is freak. Like I just like my haircut was, I looked like nobody else there We went to a bar one night and these lesbians came over to me just to be like, hi, we see you. And they were local and they were like telling me about their lives. And it was actually harrowing. They were like, one of them was saying that she got arrested for being in a bar fight. But what had happened is that somebody had like hate crimed her. It's just that the police had picked 
her up as the aggressor. So she's like got a record now, but uh, she was like targeted. And I believe her, right? Like I saw what it was like up there. Yeah. And this isn't even to say it's like, it's this very confusing thing of like, it's a beautiful resort town. We're like on this lake, we're like parasailing, you know, I'm with somebody I've known forever. And it's like, it was so confusing, I think maybe is the right word, because this is also a place I've been before growing up. And I think, you know, I think I felt like, what is wrong with me that I can't feel comfortable here? And it just took me a couple days to be like, nothing is wrong with you. Like, this is uncomfortable. Everybody here is white. The men and women like go to separate golfing times and like don't, you know, like don't even hang out together. Basically, it's multiple generations of families with like the wives all have the same haircut and the men all have the same like beer belly. Like you just this is not it's there's nothing wrong with you. This is a level of things being homogeneous that like is almost it's really hard to keep up with. So yeah, that's a really long answer to say I live in a totally different environment than that. And I sometimes forget how, how that feels to now be able to. I did a set last night in Detroit and I had to make it. I was the only person anywhere in the LGBTQIA plus all of it, like the only person. And I, uh, you know how it is. Like sometimes when you do a set and like, it's not like a, it's not like that you like start to second guess your material. So I was like, shit, 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 shit. What do I double down on? What do I let go? Do I just do crowd work? And I was like, just be your fucking self. Like, just do your thing. And I did my regular set. People liked it. There were definitely some people who were not into it. But there was this guy who was like totally straight faced the whole time. Didn't laugh. And I was like, okay, I'm about to get beat up. And after the show, he was like, hey, that was really important. Thank you. And, I, and just walked away. And I was like, fuck, mm. you never know. Like wow. it, it, so many times you watch interviews and you read articles and people are all like just existing and being yourself is important. And I forget that so many times until stuff like that happens. I also sometimes forget that like, and I'm not trying to say that I'm the most marginalized person on the planet or that you are, but I sometimes forget that like other comics are not on stage going like, am I like physically safe here? Right. Like, and I just think about like when that Dave Chappelle thing happened where somebody like charged the stage and people were like, comics need to be safe. And I just, my reaction to that is like, wait, literally what? Like you feel safe? Like, have you? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I have had people charge the stage for me. I've had that happen. I've had a dude in line after a show once try to like punch me in the face. I mean, it's, and I've also had the experience that you're talking about a zillion times where like somebody, you know, really does a surprisingly welcoming thing, but like, it's, I'm not up there. The thing you're talking about is second guessing your material. It's not like there's something wrong with you because Mm -hmm. you're in that zone. It's like, actually, you just learned, you're just like an adaptive creature who like (laughs) learned from experience, you know? And I think, yeah, sometimes I forget that. It it, it, it hits you in the weirdest ways. That is funny that you said that too. You did something about that recently on your Instagram where you talked about like, uh, you were comparing it to people who have, their argument for owning guns is so that they can feel safe. But you said the same thing like, oh, yeah. honey, you felt that before? <laughs> it's like so wild. I don't <laughs> what, know that feeling. What's that like? Yeah. It's wild. It's truly wild. I know. Okay, speaking about interactions with people, I pull quotes from my guests 
and have them elaborate on said Cute. quotes. Okay. I have a really great one for you. You were one time on some sort of party planning committee and oh yeah. the team was coming up with ideas to make the party fun and you suggested whack-a-mole. What happened? Yeah, this is like my, if a comic can have a greatest hit, this is my like greatest hit joke. Obsessed. Like, like, wait, it's been a while now, but like 10 years ago, then people would request this joke. So what happened is Is it that, true? Yeah, Before true. we start, did this, oh yes, hell yes, hell yes. A woman, I said that the party needed whack-a-mole and a woman who I was like sort of friends with said, I believe it's pronounced guacamole, which is like a real <laughs> thing that happened in my life. <laughs> that, first of all, the audacity. I know. <laughs> Second of all, the caucasity. Well, actually, I mean, this was not a Caucasian person, just to say. No, stop yeah. it. Stop it. Yeah. Okay, so then when she corrected you, in that moment in time, what's happening in your head? Because I'm not the greatest with conflict, and I think if this was <laughs> me, I would have been like, do I double correct her? I think I, yeah, I think I did clarify what I meant, which is okay. like, it's the carnival game. But in the joke, I say that I said nothing and just like, let her have that experience. But I think in real life, I think I did. I think I did correct her or like just to let her know. That's not what I meant. <laughs> I need people to go find this joke in full because we're not doing it justice right now. But one of the best things that you said when you tell that joke is that she thinks that you're one of those people who go to Chipotle or Chipotle and you order jalapenos. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like that. That's amazing. Yesterday, I went out to eat with my parents. We went to this like Mexican Italian restaurant and my dad was had such a hard time pronouncing things that the server actually said, "What?" <laughs> oh my god, that's so cute. <laughs> I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. Are you Polish? I'm like, Ski? I'm Polish, Polish and Italian. The Polish part is the obvious. Mm-hmm. The Italian is the hidden. But I can see it but like right around these places face. Yeah. The unibrow, mm-hmm. for sure. And then we are in a super Italian-Polish area, like it's where we grew up. And when I come back home, the Italian people in this area, I just want to be like, you guys understand that this is Southeast Michigan, not the Jersey Shore, correct? And it is, oh, it's a lot. But I mean, that's what I grew up around because I'm Italian. And like, this is an example of how I grew up. My parents, my dad did show me the Godfather, but At the age they- of three. Well, yeah, exactly. But they have never and will never watch The Sopranos. And mm. the, my dad's like, because it's just, just a disparagement to our community. Like, that's not who we are. And anyway, I watched it way late, like a couple of years ago for the first time. Because I thought I was like doing some sort of family allegiance where I was like, I'll never watch The Sopranos. Anyway, I watched it and I was like, this is these people. They, this sounds exactly like everybody I've n- ever known, like the cold cuts and like the cheeses. And the. I just feel like my it's hilarious because they feel so unrepresented by anything that's that is mafia related. But if I just want to be like, it's OK, like skip the mafia stuff and just look at where on their stomach the men wear their pants and you will feel so seen. You know, you just like I get that we're not part of organized crime, but like the belts and the shirt like this is that's right on the money, you guys. That's Yep. Yep. Here it's the hair that's so gelled it could pop a balloon. Oh, wow. Did you ever wear your hair like that? Did you ever do that? 
honestly, I wasn't going to out myself on my own podcast. There is a picture of seven. I was two things. I was three things. I was trying to figure out who the hell I was. So within the same year, there is a picture of me with just like totally greased up spiked hair with my silver chain with the crucifix on it with a big gaudy belt and a cell phone on the hip I like that was post that's a picture not that no. okay got it the picture that i did post recently is of the same exact year where i'm in jenko jeans with a <laughs> mohawk and flip-flops like who what was happening and then also that year I came out. So it's like, <laughs> what was going on? Um, I don't know that person. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But hair gel. You must have grown up Catholic then too. Uh-huh. Yes. So, so very Catholic. Yes. Go- I went to Catholic grade school, high school, and college. So Same. all of it. Oh, in yes. college. Uh-huh. Where'd you go? Hope? No, I went to Boston College. Oh, oh. Wow. (laughs) Tell me everything. It was, you know, harrowing. I mean, I think the thing is, so I went to BC, some people, I think it's like hard to really believe this, but this is true. I'm like, you know, I'm 40. I'm from now. I know that I'm not like the youngest person on TikTok, but I'm also not dead or a thousand years old. When I was at BC, you couldn't come out. It could, it would, you could be it was not covered by the non-discrimination policy to be queer there as a student or teacher. And I know that's not like surprising to you, but Mm -hmm. because of your own life experience, but I think outside of this conversation we're having, I think sometimes people forget, like this is like a lot of times people will say to me like, oh my God, it's like so different than when you grew up. And it's like, not for religious people actually. And for kids who are raised in religious environments, like the adults, at some point you get to make your own choice, but like kids, you know, when you're in college, you know, when I went to school, you couldn't be prescribed birth control at the campus health services, but that's also where everybody got all their health stuff done. Like 90% of students live on campus and you get a campus health plan that your parents have to pay for. You have to pay for it to enroll at BC. So like you the only option for all these students that are trapped on this school is to go to, is to not be able to buy condoms or get birth control. Or like we couldn't do a production of the vagina monologues because there's one of the vagina monologues is like about a lesbian. And so we did it as like an underground production where it was like secretly flyered, you know? And I mean, today the vagina monologues is like not the most wild thing that anybody could do, but it really was this like underground protest and yeah, let alone something like abortion or any mental health services for anybody that was queer or trans, like none of that, because that's also, again, all the mental health services were provided by on-campus counselors who were supposed to like not affirm that queerness was even real. And so like, I think because BC is a, you know, they have like a football team or basketball team that people can watch on ESPN, like the basketball team is in March Madness. I think people can forget that it is like really extreme, like that the, that Catholicism and that version of Catholicism is like no different than Mormonism or anything else that we describe in a different way. I think that a lot of the times too, especially in the overarching queer rainbow community, people who have ventured out like us tend to forget that these stories 
are it's not history. It's right. It's happening right now still yeah. in these places. And there are people who are still living the experience that we did when we were in those situations. It hasn't changed. And recently, like this is a pretty Catholic community, but there a mega church got put up here recently. And one of the neighbors here came to my they came to my parents door and like first started the conversation by asking them to not let their dog poop on their lawn anymore but it Perfect. got it very quickly turned into like a recruitment situation yeah and my mom was just like what do you guys think about the gays and they were like no we don't like there's totally. no gays. and then my mom was like you need to leave right so then like we were talking like my partner morgan and i were we definitely want kids like that's our something we want for our life. And we were also talking about how we do miss family and home. And my both my parents in the middle of that conversation stopped us and they were like, you can never come back. They were like, don't come back. And I was and that at that moment I was like, they get it. They they know. Yeah. Yeah. It was I can't really believe kinda, they said that to you. I mean that's yeah, so they did. we're like having a very timely conversation. Cause as I was driving to the airport, I mean this is truly like two days ago. I called my parents because I just, I don't know. I was like, I wonder if they could hear this. I was driving to the airport and I like had some tears and I called them and I was like, I can't live here. Like, I always thought it was me making a decision. You know, my parents are like so sad that I don't live closer. Or I think sometimes I thought like, what's wrong with me that I have to move so far away from where I'm from? And I had the opposite version of the conversation you're talking about where I like told them this and they were like, I mean, at first they were panicking and being like, wait, what could we do differently next time you're here? Like what happened that was so, and I was like, it's not that, like, it's not, there's nothing. It's out of your hands. Like they have an ally flag in their front window. Literally who even knew that you could have, like, I don't even know that an ally flag existed when they have one. Right. So my mom like bought on Amazon and she like put it in her front window. Like they are doing everything they can, but it's not you guys. Like, it's like, there's the household. And then there's like, I do, if I would, if I lived there, I would still have to eventually leave my own house or yours, you know? And like, and yeah, I can't believe you had this because it was the same conversation delivered the other way. I felt like they heard me, which was really cool. Um, yeah. I felt like they saw me, which was really cool. The most recent wow. time they came to Seattle too, we had to go to the Genius Bar. And at the Genius Bar, we're like Morgan and I, and then there were like, four different families of all different races and all were some sort of LGBT. And my parents were just, I think that in their mind, they were like sitting on the other end of the genius bar, looking at Morgan and I surrounded by families who were like us. And they had never seen us together in a setting where the environment matched. That's so, so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, it, and when they said it, trust, I was thrown back because also wow. too i feel like ever since i moved i always a, a little bit of guilt yeah a little bit of you know what was i too selfish to do this mm -hmm. but at the same time like when they said that they were like he's living his dreams he's successful at it and out they have everything that they need to like live a strong happy life out there like and then like we recently moved we recently bought a house in the elementary school that my kids are gonna go to there is a rainbow flag on the pole, like currently. Wow. It's not even June anymore. And it's just like, that's unfathomable. Like, and my kids get to experience that. Like they don't have to go to school and then have to explain what having two dads mean. 
it's just what's around. Yeah. That's wild. It is wild. Totally. I was, yesterday my wife and I went, we have these, we have this neighbor that we really love. He is like a young queer kid and he's, he was in a community theater production of Matilda that we went to, his parents invited us and we went to go see it yesterday. (laughs) He played the Trunchbull in like drag and was amazing. Was like- Is he younger? So amazing. He's like in high school. Oh. But he's like incredible. And- in the pandemic, I moved to, I moved a little bit further outside of LA. Like I live in Pasadena now, which is just mm-hmm. this, it's like the town that's right next to LA. And it, I moved here because we needed more space because we were like both working from home. And it was, I was nervous because it's like not the city center. And because I felt this way where I grew up, then for like 20 years, I only lived like, like directly, I like a first floor apartment on the busiest street, you know, in town, whatever city I was in to be like, I'm like doing the opposite, yo. Like, you know, and and when I moved here, I was really, I was just like, what am I like setting myself up again for this experience all over again? And I don't know, you know, I live in a neighborhood where there's a super high population of Chinese folks. It's like one of the biggest populations of Chinese American people in the United States. And there's a ton of mixed race couples in my neighborhood and there are queer adults and then like even queer young people. I think it gives me again, further context for like how extreme my upbringing was because even Mm -hmm. now I, I live somewhere that looks not totally, but a little more like where I grew up and to find, to be like, Oh, this has some things in common when I grew up with where I grew up, but it is not the same at all. It's the equivalent of like just seeing a rainbow flag on the flagpole and being like, oh my God. You're going to love this. I, I did NACA, the best year to get NACA, February, 2020. How about Perfect. that? So, so you got <laughs> all those bookings and then you kept them. You got, and you got to have booked, all that. Yeah. The whole year it was fantastic. Uh-huh. So I did NACA and one of the students at NACA like came up to me and was like, I think you're doing a stereotype of what a gay person is. And I was like, oh, first of all, like being myself, cute. But then I was like taken back and I was like, I see what you're doing and I respect it. You're wrong, but I like that you're on the right track, you know? And the youth of today, the way that they're able to like speak and navigate and know and talk about these things like blows my marbles. Wow. Blows me out of the water. Yeah. Isn't that wild though? Like I was like pissed, but not. Right. This was like a, this was like a gay person. Yeah. Who was like in the spectrum of gay, way gayer than me, but also I was doing me. Like I was like, oh honey, like this is like, this is just what, this is me being me. You can't just tell wow. me I can't be me. But do you see what they were doing now? Tell me. They, well, I feel like they were like advocate, advocating for themselves and for gay people yeah. without the full understanding of the situation. So right. so that's why when I like stepped back and I was like, I, as a teacher, I always told myself too, you have to make mistakes to get better. And that was like his mistake to get better. So when you, so what, I, when somebody says that to you, what does that make you mm-hmm. think that they are thinking or like that was what, a, that their experiences? I think that he thought, I was putting it on for show. Right, right. Right. But really, in reality, I was just being me. I, one of the best compliments I ever get from like 
true friends and family is that like who you see on stage is who we've known our whole life. Oh, wow. Person, that is really sweet. I love it because it's that's what our career is. Like it's you just capitalize off being yourself. But he didn't know that. He didn't know anything about me. Wow. And he was offended because he thought that this was and I'm like, you like that will happen one day where someone is like personifying who you are inappropriately, but it's not right now, sweet cheeks. This is interesting to me because I actually think I am sort of different on stage than I am off stage. Tell me everything. Yeah. I so on stage, I think I'm very big. I think I literally stand differently. I'm mean, like connected to my body in a different way. I'm very body aware. And I think I like stand differently. Sometimes I wear different types of clothes on stage than I would off stage. Mm-hmm. And then like I can be very loud. I do a lot of like voice modulate. So I'm like very loud or I'm very soft. And I think I'm funny and charismatic and stuff. I think off stage, I am very sensitive and I'm kind of serious. And I think when people expect that they're like, I think my friends know that I like I'm funny. I'm very I know I'm funny off stage. Like I always say comics are like the most serious people in the world because if you can be that serious about joking around, something is like really <laughs> off <laughs> in Honestly, your scale of seriousness. I never even put it that way, but yeah. Like it's like, <laughs> we are very fucked. serious yeah. about joking around. <laughs> like you're fucked. But I feel like I have know so many people in my life who are like more lighthearted than me, for instance. I think mm-hmm. I have like a heavy heart. And I think on stage, maybe the... Like on stage, I'm very like, this is what I think. It's a clear message. It's one thing. And I think off stage, I'm very, well, anxious for one, very anxious person. I don't think I look anxious on stage at all because it's where I don't feel anxious. I don't feel anxious. On Did stage. you ever used to get stage fright or do you even still? Uh, no, it's like sometimes I, the thing I worry about is that nobody's going to come, which is the weirdest. Like even if the show is sold out, I'm always when I'm driving to the show, my wife pointed this out always if like if she's with me. I'm always driving there like, ah, oh, nobody's going to come. She'll be like, this is just, like, it's as if I, I like, I forget that we've ever had this conversation before or that I've ever said this. And I'll be driving there. It's the thing that I dread is that like, nobody's going to be there. I'm a nut with tracking ticket sales, like obsessed. It's disgusting. Do you get stage fright? I don't get, yeah, I don't get stage fright. Do you get stage fright? Internally, no. I honestly feel mentally stable. I feel very calm. And this is TMI, but like bowelly every time without fail, no matter what seconds before I go on. Are you serious? Like I will literally, oh my God, yes. I'll literally tell. That sounds like a gift. Like how great for you that you get to walk on stage having had that experience. Like that actually sounds amazing. So you're like emptied out. That's great. Completely empty. I'll literally turn to my assistant and be like, Tell the host to do five more minutes. Boom. He's like, again, it like, it doesn't, it's, and it's, I'm not shitting you. Oh, pun not intended. No, you're shitting you. Yeah. It's like, I'm literally walking to the stage. Wow. And then I dip out. It's crazy. It's really crazy. And it, I noticed too, it happens stronger when I should be nervous, like the worst time was on my Australian tour because I was so in my head pre-show about my material not relating because it's a different country. And that, and I didn't feel nervous getting ready or going, but that one, it was just like, 
you're done. <laughs> like you oh, are done. Yeah. My God. Yeah. That was insane. Is it? I don't. Can you share that with me? Like, I'd love oh, you to can have catch that. it. Yeah. It's like gay. You can catch it. Yeah. I feel like that. I feel like that sounds heavenly because, you know, there's mm-hmm. nothing worse than like not feeling well. In, especially oh, yeah. in like a stomach sort of situation. Like one time I ate uh, dinner, like just very shortly before being on stage. And it was like spicy, spicy food. And, you know, there's nothing like pretending that like an utter belch is just like a, a pause for laughter where it's like also even <laughs> placed in like the wrong moment. You're like leaning away from the microphone to, and they're like, I think that usually when someone a comic leans away like that, they're, but this was, this, this was mid setup. The punch, there was no punchline at all. It was betwixt words. There's, why is this, why is Cameron doing this? But anyway, so that sounds amazing. No, that for me, I feel like when I get on stage, I get like super dropped into, it's like spiritual. I get dropped into something that is like, I feel like I dissociate, first of all, but in like a good way. So there's like a part of me that's like running the program of doing my material or trying something new and thinking ahead. And then there's a part of me that's like present in the room, clocking what's going on. Oh um, yeah. That's the craziest thing, right? Where you're like you're, having you're two like experiences at abs- once. Yes. You're two people. You're yeah. yourself twice. And yeah. it's that. The most present I ever am. And it's also like the least present I ever am at the same time. One time I caught a fly, you know, like a fly was flying past on stage and I (laughs) reached up and caught it with my hand. And like, that's the feeling, right? You know, and I just feel like in my daily life, I, you know, I'm, I meditate and I work out a lot to try to get closer to that experience, but I never Mm -hmm. really have it of like presence that way. I never really have it the same way. Let me break this down for the listeners too. I don't think I've ever talked about this on stage. They're not comics. So this is probably very unrelatable. There is this thing that we're talking about, you guys, where we go on stage and you're on autopilot saying your material with ease the way it should be done. But you're thinking about what is this person wearing? Is this person laughing? Why aren't they laughing? How can I get them to laugh? Like you're having conversations with yourself while fully facilitating a show it's we should be incarcerated like criminals think <laughs> like that's the only thing like, well like, i think that maybe some people do have this experience as i think about it like a flow experience like i'm like i don't think people mm-hmm. have it necessarily maybe they have a hobby that feels like this or yeah. some people who are like us and in just luckier than percentage wise a hundred percent of all people in human history where we get to do what we want to do for a living like that's like that's yep. less than zero, the percentage of people I know, I know. who've ever gotten to do that. But I think that's what it is. It's like that flow state thing. Like you also, you know, you see this with athletes where it's like they're, you can't understand how somebody can be like responding that quickly. To, like like a goalie, like a soccer goalie where you're just like, how? Because it was, an, but it's because like two things are happening at the same time. I'm very curious if, I don't know if people ever like, did they ever respond to you? I'm very curious if people- Oh, all the time. I would wonder when anybody that's listening has this experience. If it's not like sports, I sometimes feel this way also with cooking where I can like- I was just going to say, I bet a chef. Yeah, yeah. But there's got to be other, you know, like things that I have never thought of. Like what What is What does your wife do? She's a book editor. A book editor. Now, okay. 
I would assume that's a job where you would never experience this. You know, I was thinking, that's so funny that you said that because I was thinking about that. I was thinking about her too. No, I don't because think she has this Because you have to be hyper present on one thing. Yeah, I don't you know? know that she has this at work. I wonder where she does have this. I'll have to ask her because I there's got to be something. But no, she's like, yeah, she's a details person and I am literally truly have never cared about one detail in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Do you write on stage or do you physically write? I write on stage. Same. Do you ever physically write? I will transcribe things that I've said on stage. Like eventually I will be, I'll have like a full hour that's like just scribbles of Mm -hmm. a set list. And then I will like transcribe it either from memory or maybe sometimes I'll have recorded it. Is this how you do it? First of all, you, you, we are the same. We're very different. <laughs> yeah. I, d- I always wonder how this happens. This just confirms that we're psychotic. How do you, how do we do it? I'll say something in a show. And in the moment I'm like, that's gold. I'll never think about it again. It was the first time I said it, but the next time I get to that same part, the next time I do the show, it just comes out of my mouth. How? I don't know. I mean, Katie and I, my wife, we were just talking about this and maybe this is the difference in her job and my job because she Mm -hmm. has like a profession and I feel like I have a trade. So I feel like the things that she learns in her job, she could translate to other jobs. Like she used to be an agent, the book agent. Now she's a book editor. Maybe someday she'll like run an imprint. I mean, she's very smart and her thing, her skills will be like translatable to other fields. For me, it's like sort of stand-up is translatable for other fields, but it's really like, it's like being a blacksmith where like really what you're prepping for is like to be better at stand-up. So I really care about like the nitty gritty and the stupid shit of it because I think it's like something that's, I don't know, it's I really care about it in a dumb way. Anyway, I love what you're saying because I care about it in a dumb way. Like I think about something like getting an eternalized clock after a while. Cause you were talking about these like Instagram videos that I've been doing. And the reason that those are really fun for me is because like reels are a minute, they're like a minute long. And after doing this job for 15 years, I can actually kind of figure out how to tell a story in one minute. Like I know I sort of write them out a little bit before I say them. And I know how many words is going to be like a minute of speech. And it's, I'm like pretty right, actually. Like I rarely am, like maybe sometimes it'll be like 102 and I'll like cut a word. But that is weird to have that ability. You guys got to also pause the podcast and just go follow Cameron right now, Cameron Esposito. Because I'm not, when I opened, when I said that, it's like poetry. You're like, especially the one that you did on guns. Okay. The one that you did on guns, you were just talking, but it like, had context and structure and you took a situation and flipped it on its head to like be worded to mean another thing. And you tied it up so well at the end that when I was listening, I was like, I can see like a high schooler watching that and then doing it for their forensics meet. Like it. Oh my God. That's so cute. I was like, this is pro, like this is poetry. Like this is what this is. I thought it was there. That one particularly really caught me. I was like, this is fucking cool. I thought that was something that you like wrote, wrote. Yeah. It's more like I like have the, I mean, again, this is like so nitty gritty. Maybe this is not interesting to anybody, but I, I think it's interesting because I'm like terrible at Twitter, for instance, because I'm oh, like, me too. I'm like so earnest. 
And my standup is it requires a little bit of like diction and like I'm just not I'm just it was never I sometimes I have like a big giant viral tweet. I've had a couple of those. Most of the time it is just like I will tweet something and then I'd be like, that was nothing. That was a resounding embarrassment. <laughs> but when I found out like Instagram reels, it's like this cute thing because it is an exploration of like, wait, what skill set do you have from doing stand-up for this long? And it's like, yeah, it's like speed and inflection and i mean it's it's exactly what you're fucking talking about it's totally like it's totally i said this forever being a teacher made me a better stand-up and being a stand-up made me a better teacher because like my god that makes so much i was because five days a week plus i came up in detroit so getting time is very hard but five days a week i'm in front of these kids and like you have to, it's your own PBS show live every day. You just got to oh keep them, God. their attention going and their heckles are worse than whatever you're going to experience in the club. I'm dealing with, you know, five-year-olds who act like drunk adults. And then I'm going to go with drunk adults who act like five-year-olds. Like it was the same thing. So I literally would use the same lines to get the beha- kids to behave that I would use on hecklers in the club. And it would just... <laughs> flow that is honestly in in my career too people were talking about like what would you do if you weren't a comic and i'm like i don't think that i would have changed my trajectory because i think the way that i did it is the only way that i could have been good at this like i don't think if i taught i would be able to like just negotiate these situations like that you know i love that i love yeah I i think that's amazing and god i mean i think what you're talking about is like ability to captivate against human attention spans. Like that is so mm-hmm. hard. I think about this all the time when I just went to like a music festival over the weekend. And Which one did you go to? Oh, I went to this one that's called Palomino Fest and it's Ooh. it was here in Pasadena and it was like a country music festival that Willie Nelson and Casey Musgraves were, were headlining. But the reason okay. that I wanted to go and I like asked my, this is actually so fun. Do you know Orville Peck? Are you listening to Orville Peck? Yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> So Orville Peck was one of the performers and I like asked the, some people that I work with, like, could you get me tickets to this festival? And they were like, how did you, you do this? We I can get you having these conversations. We can get you artist passes. So yeah! I got to watch from side stage. I got to watch Orville Peck from side stage, which is, which is like so fun. And I like love what he's doing so much. And I got to take Katie and Katie had never been to a music festival before. And I have performed at a ton of music festivals. And th- so anyway, this is what I was thinking about your skill set and how helpful it would have been because the there is no greater nightmare in the world as a comic than being booked on a music festival because you're going to say yes because it's a cool oh, yeah. thing to do and you're going to go and it's going to be fun. And the people that, and you get to have an artist wristband and you get to watch people from like a cool position side stage and you get to feel like you're so rad and important, but also you do have to then do stand-up at an outdoor (laughs) music festival. (laughs) Like, unfortunately, part of it is that you also have to do what you were hired to do. And like, I mean, the nothing. One time I was performing at this festival. I don't think they do it anymore. It was called Sasquatch. And it was in Washington or- Sounds right. At a venue that's called The Gorge. And The Gorge is just a giant- Oh, that is Washington. Yeah, it's just- right by me. Right, okay, yeah. So it's just a giant hole in the earth. And in front of that is stage- (laughs) You did stand up at the gorge. I did stand up at the gorge. <laughs> was the, it a, was who for Dave or something? Like, what did you do? Oh my god! Like, I I have no memory. What? It, well, like, like here's who else was playing. Like Lana Del Rey. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> atmospheric 
like like trippy fucking it you know what I'm match, saying? Right? like she's it like she's smoking a cigarette like it and i just was in this tent because they for some reason they well not for some they put the comics in a tent because they're like does this help and you're like no it doesn't one time i was performing at a music festival in san francisco and while i was on stage elton john was sound checking <laughs> Oh my God. Oh my God. The sound bleed is a hundred percent. Like it's not, it turns out a tent doesn't actually block rocket man. So it was hard to really get people invested in my long wordy stories. This is why I needed you. This is why your skill set is what I needed. And I'm, can we please just get booked on these things? That's the goal. You're the, you were meant for this. (laughs) We're going to get off this podcast and we're going to call our agents and demand that we be put on a set together. Yes. Like this needs, it's 100% mandatory at this point. If they don't, it's homophobia. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I have one more thing that I want to ask you about. And then one of the things we do on the podcast is I take emails from the fans and I got a really good one Cute. for you and we break it down. But before we do that, you were in the movie Mother's Day. Oh, I was. A, a little bit of a while back. And in that movie, we have Julia Roberts, Kate Hudson, Jason Sudeikis. And I do need to ask you about two things. Yeah. One, you had a stunt double. Yes. <laughs> because you can't drive a stick shift? I had a stunt double because the car, the car that my character is driving is supposed to ha- lose its brakes. So there was a oh. moment where the car had to be like crashed. And so they wouldn't, oh. they didn't let me do that. But they did let now, a woman okay. do this who was wearing a wig of my hair. And she said to me, like, can you believe this wig that we're wearing? And I was like, oh, shit, this it is was your hair. my actual hair. <laughs> <laughs> what did she say? She, I mean, she was real sweet about it. I, you know, I think we both just agreed to let bygones be bygones. We're just, just yeah. going to go to craft services. And yes. We'll be right back. Yeah. Like, oh, that's great. Now, did you have any contact with Julia Roberts? Julia's the only one I didn't meet. So I really did meet, yes. I only saw her at the premiere, but I didn't really talk to her. I did yeah. meet Jennifer Aniston, who's also in that movie. Did you die at that moment? Actually, I gotta say it's so she Spill it. She's the only person. Yeah, no, it's not even negative. She's the only person who when I've met her, she didn't say her name. Oh. Like it's one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Like people, somebody was like, cause we were just, we met in passing at the studio and okay. the person was like, like Jen, I think it was actually Gary Marshall was like, Jen, uh-huh. have you met Cameron? And I was like, I'm Cameron. And she just smiled and said, nice to meet you. And it like, <laughs> it wasn't rude. She was very nice, but it just was, it felt very right because there was a bit of an acknowledgement. Yes, yeah, somebody else said this is Jen, but I also felt like there was a bit of an acknowledgement, like, you know who I am. <laughs> right. like, 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 yes, we can move on. Yeah, I mean, it's how are you? Like, what's going on? We can chit chat, but like, I don't need to, I don't need to cover things that have already been covered. Like that. Was I'm, that your only interaction with her? It was. I, most of my scenes were with Kate and right. Margot Martindale and Robert Pine, who's Chris Pine's dad, and Sarah Chalky, who is like the nicest person in the world and we're still buddies. But yeah, Kate- So that would have been your family. Yeah, exactly. In the the, movie. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. And, but Kate hung out, hung out with us like a lot, actually. I hung out with her for a month of my life. That's Weirdly. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, that, that stuff makes 
a difference too. Yeah. Like getting along with the cast a hundred percent. Yeah. Fun facts about Cameron Esposito. Okay. Are you ready to get into these emails? This one go, I think this is a good one for you. I asked them to ask us to write us. All I said is write us in about gay stuff. So we got some. Cool. Hey, Joe, love the podcast. Listen religiously every single week. Never stop. Cute. I have a dilemma. Ooh, here we go. I recently was brave enough to bring wedding pictures of myself and my wife to my classroom. My students looked at the pictures and said, I love your husband's suit. What do I do? Oh, this has happened to me multiple times where they say, where's your wife? How old's your wife? Where does she live? It's like, oh, honey, what would you do in this situation? It's a tough one. You know, I think usually I'm the person who is the undistinguishable wife in the suit. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's just as simple as. Oh, that's actually my wife. But thank you for I agree. complimenting the suit. I will like tell her. She will love to hear that. I love that too. That's a hard part, the, especially in education. I think we talked about this when I was on your podcast too. It's so hard because you don't know what the parents are going to say. You don't know what the administration's going to say. But I think the important lesson here is just confidence. You mm. don't have to go into it. You don't have, you, you address the question and you move on like you would any other question. I love that. They asked about your husband's suit. You would have just said, thank you. I'll tell him. Yeah. You could even just say, thank you. I'll tell her and continue. And if further questions arise, Go from there. I love that. Yeah. But I think that this is for any gay teacher. This is this will happen. And I think that the biggest thing is if you show in your face that you're fearful or ashamed, the kids will pick up that there's a problem, that something's wrong. So as much as you can, Mm. muster up some courage to live in the moment as you would with any other situation. Yeah. And I guess the other thing I would say is like, yeah, like you just said, as you would with any other situation. I mean, this is also, I'm sure this is something that this person has faced outside the classroom. Maybe they could even ask their wife how they deal with it. Because I bet if you're somebody who can be mistaken for for somebody else in a photograph, I bet that's probably happened in like a bathroom or on an airplane as well. (laughs) So maybe your wife has some strategies. Could be a sweet moment for you to acknowledge her experience. Family bonding. Mm-hmm. I love. Cameron Esposito, thank you for coming on the podcast. You are a light and a gem. And I'm obsessed that we are becoming friends. What yeah. do you got going on? Where can people find you? Well, first of all, yeah. Right now, Instagram is really fun. And I also just want to say that I really like you. And I am and I support you. And I really, I really wish continued great things for you. Uh. I appreciate that. Thank you. Look at us building each other. Up. Yeah, it's true though. I love it. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> what do you got going on? Where are you going to be next? Um. Oh, thank you. I'm going to be a lot, ton of places. I'm going to be on tour. I'm doing like a tour this fall that takes me to, let's see, New York and, and Nashville and Austin and Denver and Burlington, Vermont and Boston. If you're in any of what those What did you title it again? Oh, it's called, it's called Boy in a Bra. Yeah, yeah. I remember I read it and I loved yeah, it. I yeah. just couldn't remember the name. Boy in a Bra. That's yeah. great. <laughs> yeah. That is so good. That's so good. I love it. Where can people get tickets? They can just go to CameronEsposito.com. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Okay, it's Cameron Esposito. I'm not joking. I love the content that she's pushing out online. They're impactful. They're funny. They're touching. They're great. Give her a follow. Go to one of her shows. You're going to love it. And we'll see you next week. (laughs) Bye, everyone. (laughs) Thanks, Joe. 